If we want to talk about violence and its dissolution or division, it is impossible to avoid talking about human beings as ancient runners and ancient throwers. This is nothing new. Anyone who goes to the movies risks a lesson in anthropology and action fan and action movie fans, AO Ipso, come close to paleoanthropology because, as I shall show, action provides the long lost key to the transition from ape to human. I shall begin with the observation that today's popular culture is the setting for a regression from drama to action. Nowadays, instead of the interpersonal conflicts we know from the high culture theatre play, interbestial or intermechanical action sequences can be widely seen. On first glance, they do not seem to have anything in common with the educational dimension of the European and Oriental culture of theatre and narrative. I will shortly show, however, how far such action scenes have all also have a particular educational meaning, although in a sense not of humanisation, but of homininization. What academic history discusses under the heading of prehistory and early history is in fact the opposite of what the textbooks present. The realm where apparently nothing happens, in which boring populations of hunters and gatherers vegetate during hundreds of thousands of years of messing around until finally warriors, kings and scribes arrive to liven up history. In reality, the enormous time period of so-called prehistory is dominated by an event whose dramatic character towers over every individual drama. The event of original hominization. For the period of over a million years, a single gigantic event occurred. A titanic story whose violence and tension overshadowed everything that happened later, except perhaps the kindling of nuclear fire. Who could, <coughs> who could deny that this represents a challenge of historiography? Most readers feel uneasy when they open books written by paleontologists. Accounts of experts poking around in African or Chinese prosimian bones are dull, and probably not what the subject could really accomplish once we have accepted that so-called prehistory must necessarily contain the most breathtaking experience of all, the event to crown all events, the sheer catastrophe we originate from. Given the state of affairs, I would suggest testing the following hypothesis. Modern action cinema is a series of experimental writing of uh, is a species of experimental writing of pre and early history using the methods of advanced film technology to process humankind's archaeological secrets. Action cinema illuminates an aspect of truth about the inaugural event that formed humanity that we could summarize under the heading the secession of human hordes from old nature. Looking closer, we can see that the two universal elements of action cinema, running and shooting, are usually linked in sequences that cineastes call the chase. This is barely different to the major event of early history that gave rise to Homo sapiens, as the running animals whose legs measured two-fifths of its height that became a human being because it survived the chase. To do this, it was necessary for early humans to be transformed from fugitives to counter-attackers, mostly by throwing stones and swinging from branches. The unified gesture involved in running to escape, turning around and throwing something at the attacker, is the oldest pattern of human action. It is actually the pattern that advances hominization and allows the creation of a specific human group atmosphere. <laughs>
singular combination of the skills of running and throwing created an invisible ring around those who possessed those, inv those special abilities, a distance from everything else in nature. From then on, nothing more could compel human creatures to adapt to the environment simply by means of their body. In the interior of this invisible ring, the human head became remarkably big, the skin remarkably thin, the woman remarkably beautiful, sexuality remarkably chronic, and the children remarkably infantile. The old sapiens horde were floating, or better still, fleeing, islands on which nature allowed the experiment of a luxury evolution of consequences for the world. Because human beings as runners, throwers and beaters successfully evaded the direct pressure of animal competitors, humanity became the species that lifts its head, looks into the open country and quivers with wakefulness. Theoretical behaviour arose exceptionally early in human beings, to some extent from the excess of wakefulness that opened the eyes of the attentive animal Homo sapiens to the luxuriant vista of the still plain. This perspective helps explain the third universal aspect of action cinema, the waiting, the sitting still, the hero's immersion in the stillness before the attack, the small movements of the perpetrators in the eventless scene heavy with imminent events. I assure you that anybody who puts something like this on screen is not a priori promoting brutality, as cultural critics argue, and not just somebody speculating on the reliably vulgar instincts of fellow human beings. He is primarily, and specifically in this case, an explorer of early history who sent his probes back to the field of hominization to discover for himself, and for us, the real content of prehistoric human formation. Action films explore the never entirely forgotten boundary of conflict, where the decision is made whether creatures from hordes should survive or not. Having said earlier that all history is the history of violent solutions, now is the time to add, it is the history of escaping from chases, and the history of being able to move from escape to counterattack. One should almost talk of the birth of human beings out of the spirit of counterattack. And the beginning was counter-violence, which means the flight from violence that erects boundaries in the space by the act of throwing. The animal of distance, the human being of the horde, lives on an island of distance from its surroundings, an island that is excluded from old nature by the intrinsic, complementary relationship of escape and counter-attack. This is why it would be easier to think of the old hordes together with their highly cultured successes and peoples and nations as social rafts drifting on the sea of old nature, with the tendency, which only became clear much later, to turn the timeless drift into a historical journey. Now we can understand why the whole of paleo-history must offer variations on the themes of throwing and shooting. To the extent that they invented themselves in counterattack, human beings are artillery-type animals. Throwers. Shooters. Creators of distance by using missiles and throwing border stones. If we remember that the first borders were not drawn or fixed but thrown, and remained empty afterwards as part of the no-man's land between the throwers, then the archaic suggestive power of guns in general and exchanges of fire in action cinema in particular becomes highly plausible. 
The historicism of action film reminds us that the horde ego finds reasons for conflicts about distance and demarcation whenever the old actors clash during their outings. The person who shoots at others on a wild trip out in the wide world is not always the cool killer or lonely cowboy. You might just as well be an old hunter engaging in foreign policy for the horde, not in terms of territory, but rather in relation to ideas about the real or imagined intactness of the horde ego. This ego, in its informal precincts that are relatively pacified internally, drifts through the world cauldron, which is filled with violence. Looking back to hominization in the horde, therefore, gives us the opportunity to consider the artillery before the artillery that seems inseparable from the entire process of becoming a human being. Homo eactans might well be a better name for Homo sapiens. If Heidegger had lived to see the Terminator films, I am sure he would have revised his statement that human beings are beings that have to design themselves. Instead, he would have said that human beings are the beings who are condemned to throwing, per se. People who want to talk about throwing should not keep quiet about hitting the target. This brings us to the dark side of the present considerations, because we have to discuss the relationship of shooters and throwers to the objects being hit. I shall preface my remarks by mentioning that this may concern what modern commentators call a subject-object relationship. The question of hitting the target brings us to the topic of the Terminator for the first time, because the hits that enliven the oldest hunter lore and the latest killer video machine fantasies are the terminal hits the terminating hits, and the bullseyes that put a full stop after the object's autonomous existence. The object relationships of shooters could be described as a kind of happy sadism. Shooting at an object not only means putting it out of your way, a true shot recognises something specific in the other person in a place where it would have been, where it would be better to have nothing, which means if this leads to hitting the mark, that the hit is the production of this exact nothing in place of the false something that was there before. From this perspective, any kind of artillery would inherently include a latent Terminator theme. Whenever people shoot seriously, the nothing is invited to change places with the previous something. The cult of the hit that runs through all action movies is an everlasting extinction ceremony that celebrates the original extermination miracle of the human hordes after the event, as if it were something that today's sapiens, yaktans, cannot do without. If I have used the expression extermination miracle without immediately distancing myself from the term on moral grounds, it was not to prepare a theoretical black mass, but to give plausibility to a paleo-anthropological theorem about our human horde members' primary experiences of power. For in the history of the species' ego formation, exterminations are older than creations, and extinction is more fundamental than invention. Why does termination take precedence over inauguration? The answer derives from the basic conditions of the Horde's reality. The group, surrounded by the invisible membrane of its natural distance, drifts towards the old sea of nature. A raft like Pytozoon in a potentially dangerous world tub. On average, it 
may offer lukewarm temperatures and sustain the raftsmen as long as there are only a few of them. But it encloses them, apparently forever, in its impenetrable shell of violence and power that keeps them in an ambivalent state of primal passivity, safe and squeezed at the same time. In this context, it is understandable what throwing and hitting the target could have meant originally, the beginning of an infinitely slow and difficult counter-seizure of power that would culminate in the possibility of apt statements like the Cartesian dictum of man as the maître et possesseur de la nature, master and owner of nature. The first hits take human beings into the zone of a new kind of ecstasy. They start jumping and shaking with strong revolutionary emotions. In fact, we can say that ego-orgasms give rise to the subject. The hit triggers a kind of euphoric sadism that forms the ego, and probably represents the guiding thread of the psycho-evolutionary process as such. We are talking about a sadism that makes the ego blossom, in the sense that it learns how to use artillery power to destroy an object. This is the first point where human beings broke through into the technological magical zone. By its nature, initially, this can only be a zone of extermination and magic. The magic of transformation and production will follow the path that the magic of denial, th throw and shot, has carved out in tele-causal terms. People who have trouble envisaging these connections may find it helpful to compare a current phenomenon in the subculture of sport. We only have to consider the circumstances in which we become witnesses of the most powerful statements of desire that human beings can express. The theatrical climaxes of our porno queens are feeble comedies, compared with the goal-scoring orgasms at the heart of all the reporting on major football championships. You only have to study the gestures of the heroes on the field after they have scored a goal to see the eruption of wild forms of ecstatic satisfaction forms for which there is no equivalent in the entire range of gestures within civilization. If we only looked properly, we could see that this often involves eruptions of almost obscene piety, and not only among men from southern countries who sometimes break down on the grass after scoring a goal, cross themselves and whimper before rolling their eyes and thanking some higher authority for the mercy of the shot. These are the Saturday prayers of modern humanity, Prayers wept jointly by millions of viewers in front of small screens and in stadiums. These are the spontaneous prayers of preserved early history that make monotheistic Sunday rituals look artificial by comparison. I am convinced that these masculine shooter orgasms and hit cults are imitations of the primary sadistic jubilation with which the first hunters and throwers celebrated their original, albeit precarious, victories over old nature. At the core of its successes, the history of human skill follows this sadistic axis on which the subject asserts itself in triumphing over the object that has been hit and destroyed. The ominous cruelty of children sometimes contains aspects of this. It is a pole of attraction from the start for power that wants itself for its own sake. It is the longing for the extreme feeling of finally scoring some victories over nature, which is overpowering on every other front. It takes the first steps towards breaking out of nature's cauldron. Ballistic preliminary rounds for the metaphysical idea of overcoming the world. 
it is thus appropriate that in the second Terminator film, which is the present peak of modern action cinema, the killer machine appears as an ally of the little messiah. Just as it is right that the holes he shoots with big handguns into the heads and bellies of his enemies are finally shown explicitly as holes, thanks to computer-generated images, at last everyone can see without mediation what terminating means. To make a hole where previously something complete, resistant and false existed. To quote a wise old caveman's proverb, no survival without eliminating adversities. But what if the entire world looked like an adversity? What if the earth became the target of a last sweeping shootout? As we know, ordinary heroes in action operate on the sound idea of annihilating hits. Terminators in the last exchange of fire, however, operate on the concept of the redemptive mission of exterminating the global exterminator. Global destruction means the fantasy that the whole of humanity will be boiled in a nuclear cauldron. What distinguishes the new Terminator syndrome from the usual artillery nihilism is the metaphysical collateral that a few correct hits could save humankind. Anybody who successfully shoots down people who are threatening to shoot everything becomes the redeemer, with the gun as the symbol of holiness. How can we explain this mention of the gospel in the same breath as the most brutal literature of violence? I am afraid it is high time to ask Arnold and James what they think of religion.